Good morning. If you would, grab a Bible. Let's turn over to Luke chapter 2. Luke 2. We'll be spending all our time this morning in this part of Scripture, Luke chapter 2. So it would help you to have a Bible open to that place. Thank you so much for being here, for worshiping God together with us, for the encouragement you've given me. Appreciate all of those who have had a part in the service and uh, for the good thoughts that have been shared this morning as we have honored God and honored our Savior, Jesus. Luke chapter 2, I want to begin by reading in verse 25. Luke 2 and verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said. Well, it's that time of year again. It's that time of year when a large portion of our culture turns its attention to giving and to family and to Jesus. And as I've said from this pulpit before, I believe that is a good thing. I am very much interested in talking about Jesus, and if other people want to talk about him, I think that is good. Just because I don't believe that God calls on his people to have some kind of church celebration doesn't mean it's bad for people to be talking about Jesus. But I do think we have to admit that when people talk about Jesus at Christmas time, usually that discussion is pretty light. We talk about joy and peace and love with very little thought of how joy and peace and love might require life change or hard talks or difficult choices. So the question that I have at a time like this is how do we balance the incredible joy that accompanies the appearance of Jesus, the the coming of Jesus, the incarnation of Jesus, how do we balance that joy with the challenge and the difficulty of following Jesus. How do we maintain that balance when others seem to be imbalanced? So what I want to do for a few minutes this morning is talk about Jesus. And yes, we are going to talk about baby Jesus, but we're going to look at him through the eyes of Simeon, who is this presumably old man who is there in the temple and gets to see this baby and ends up honoring God and honoring the Messiah through a special revelation. I want us to talk about the gospel according to Simeon for a few minutes this morning. So let's set the stage. What has happened here is in Luke chapter 2, Jesus has been born in Bethlehem. His parents are there to comply with a census. There's no room for them in the inn, so they have the baby and they lay him in a feeding trough because there's no room for them anywhere else. Shepherds come to visit them that night telling them about this vision they've had of angels appearing to them, talking about how God is visiting man, and there's peace and goodwill toward those on earth. We only have a couple of scenes from the life of Jesus as a child or a baby, and they're here in Luke 2. These are the scenes that were described Jesus in this time, but we do get some glimpses of Jesus causing a stir even as a baby. So in verse 21, in verse 21 it says, At the end of eight days, that is eight days after Jesus was born, When he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. 
So he is circumcised, which is done in order to make someone a part of the covenant of Abraham that God had made with Abraham and with Abraham and his descendants from then on. So Jesus' parents are interested in him being a Jew and being a part of this. In fact, we're going to learn a lot about the kind of parents Jesus, or I'm sorry, the kind of parents God chose for his son. He chose two people who had a passion to follow the law of God, Joseph and Mary. So verse 22 when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So the young family travels to Jerusalem. This is after the days of purification, which would happen after 40 days, 40 days after the birth. And they're here to kill two birds with one stone. I wrote that because they have two things to do, and that's the expression, right? But they're literally going to kill two birds. So they're going to do two things while they're in Jerusalem. So the first of those is that Mary has to offer a sacrifice for her purification. Okay, that was required by the law. And the sacrifice, it says in verse 24, is two doves or two pigeons. That is actually the sacrifice for those who cannot afford a lamb. So what we learned there is these are two young people with a new baby who are committed to following the law, but they don't have a lot. And so they're there to do what they can. And the other part of the reason they're there, the other bird they're going to kill there, is in verse 22. They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. So every firstborn son was special and holy to Jehovah. There was a price that had to be paid, five shekels, to redeem him. Now, it's not always clear that there's some kind of ceremony to present, but evidently that's what happens for Jesus. But it does make me wonder how many babies are brought like this to the temple all the time to do things like this. You know, 40 days after, you've got this first child, you've got a young couple. We have some of those here, don't we? Okay, and after a certain period, you come up and present this baby. Here are Joseph and Mary. They are anonymous. They don't have the fame that they have in our time. They're just here to do the right thing. And yet, out of all of the young parents and all the babies in the temple, they are going to be singled out. And this baby particularly is going to be singled out. And that's where we meet Simeon here in the temple. Verse 25. Verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So Simeon is a godly man, he is righteous and devout, which emphasizes both that he believes in the law and that he is practicing the law. He is waiting for the consolation of Israel. That is the idea of God comforting his people and fulfilling the messianic prophecies. He is waiting for the Messiah to come, but he has had a special revelation from God. We're not told why, but it's pretty clear God wants something special for this special man. And God has revealed to him that he will not die before he sees the Lord's Christ. Now that's fascinating. Don't you wonder, if you were to receive the revelation, you are not going to die before you see the Messiah, what would you be expecting? I think I would be expecting a full-grown man. I think I would be expecting the Christ in power, or at least at the head of an army, that I would be able to see the fulfillment, but instead... He is going to see a baby. Verse 27. 
He came in the spirit, this is Simeon, into the temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said. So here's the thing. It's not clear if Simeon is some sort of priest doing the blessing. That's not told us. But he is possibly just a man who frequents the temple. But he takes Jesus up in his arms and he makes a special prophecy. Look at verse 29 with me. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So, what does Simeon see when he sees this baby? Well, it's clear that he has the Holy Spirit, and through the Spirit he's going to make some statements that are God's statements. So, what does Simeon tell us about what Jesus' coming means? The first thing is that Jesus' coming means salvation for all people. You see that here as he holds this baby. He says, verse 29, Now I can die in peace. You're letting your servant depart in peace. For, verse 30, my eyes have seen your salvation. Jesus, this baby is going to be a savior. And that word salvation or savior can have a lot of different meanings now as it did then. You know, we can save someone for some kind of physical peril. Sometimes we save ourselves some trouble. Or sometimes there's some kind of thing where a powerful person saves in some way. Yet, it's not really clear what Simeon is thinking. I want you to get into Simeon's mindset, though. What Simeon is saying when he says, My eyes have seen your salvation is that God is finally going to act. We have been waiting on God for centuries. We've been waiting on God through empires that have kicked us back and forth like a football. We've been waiting on God to come and restore order, to bring the nation back. We've been waiting on God to act, and now as I hold this baby in my arms, God is promising and fulfilling the promise to do something, to save us. Yet, even in these early stages, there are some little hints. I want you to turn the page back to Luke 1. In Luke 1, and verse 76, this is Zechariah, also filled with the Holy Spirit, talking about his son, John the Baptist. Luke 1, 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Salvation how? Well, not salvation from the Romans, not salvation by reestablishing a physical power, but salvation in the forgiveness of sins. And so they are beginning to see, as they look at this baby or as Zechariah looks at his son, they are beginning to see God's doing something, but maybe it's not everything that we anticipated salvation to mean. But go with me back to Luke 2. The most impressive part of Simeon's prophecy is what we say at the end of this. It's salvation for all people. He sees that this is not salvation for just the Israelites. Look in verse 31. Luke 2, 31. That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Now, I want you to remember that in the Jewish mind, salvation was coming for Israel. In fact, you've seen that just in this section. What is Simeon waiting for? Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel. In fact, he talks about Anna in the next section. We're not going to talk about her this morning. But Anna, it says down in verse 38, she spoke to all those who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. We're waiting for Jewish salvation and Jewish redemption. And yet, 
Here is Simeon seeing this baby, and he holds up this baby, and he says, God has in mind more than Israel, that he is going to be a light for revelation to the Gentiles too. He says there in verse 31 that you have prepared, which indicates how much God has been working and how long God has planned for this, and now he is revealing it. In fact, I, I'm, the, the phrase there in verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, reminds me of this passage in Matthew chapter 4, where it describes when Jesus begins to preach in Galilee. And it says, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Matthew sees even Jesus preaching primarily in Galilee is about God reaching out to Gentiles. It is Galilee of the Gentiles. So, Jesus will bring glory to Israel. Yes, he says in verse 32, but he is also going to be a light and salvation to Gentiles. I've been reading as I prepare for our devotionals for next year. We're going to be studying through the story of Israel in the Old Testament. And when you go back and review, especially, I haven't read them in, in some time, the earliest prophecies to Abraham, promises. And God says to Abraham, in your seed, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Salvation, blessing, hope for everyone. And then how New Testament writers say that seed is Jesus. What is happening as Simeon holds this baby in his hand? As he sees how God is going to finish fulfilling the promises he made so long ago to Abraham to bless all people. Salvation for everyone. Part of the mystery of the gospel, and that's a phrase that's commonly used in the New Testament, that the gospel was a mystery, meaning for a long time it was hidden. Part of the mystery is that God's going to include Gentiles and not just Jews. In fact, it's shocking to me. God actually seems to use racial intolerance to keep that part of the message hidden. Because for centuries, Jews had it in their scriptures, and yet they assumed God would never feel a different way about Gentiles than we do. God would never want to accept them. After all, we don't. And yet God allows that to be a part of how he's going to keep that plan hidden and fulfill it in the right time. And yet now, one of the elements of the gospel that we take for granted most, that we can preach the gospel to whoever and whoever can accept it, that didn't happen until Simeon held this little baby in his hands, until Jesus came and announced salvation for all people. So Jesus is a signal that God loves everyone and is willing to accept everyone. In fact, he is so willing that he's willing to come to earth and sacrifice himself for everyone. So when Simeon holds that baby, that's what he sees, salvation for all people. But that's not all there is. To Simeon's gospel. Look at verse 33 with me. In verse 33 it says, And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. By the way, it's kind of a shocking thing to have said about your baby, right? Okay, we're talking about a child who's about six weeks old. And while every parent thinks their baby is the best baby that's ever been, probably none of them are going to say these kinds of things about their baby, right? And yet, they're amazed. So, verse 34 
Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. I hope you see in those two verses a very different kind of message than in the previous verses. Where before... He is taking this child and blessing the child and saying, wow, look at what God is doing through the child. I see what this child is going to do. These verses are a challenge. They are negative. They are hard. What he is saying here is that Jesus coming is going to mean the fall and rising of many. So I'm going to take these two verses, verse 34 and 35, these things that Simeon says specifically to Mary, and I want us to just break them down bit by bit. So verse 34 Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. This appears to be a picture of buildings, because these words are often used of buildings, particularly in the Old Testament. Buildings rising, buildings falling, and particularly in the Old Testament, some buildings or cities fall never to rise again. And so he says, many things are going to be built, and many things are going to be destroyed because of this baby that you're holding in your hands. The fall and rising of many. And I think the best way to think about that, that's a little bit of an odd term to us, is to think about the very common picture in the New Testament of Jesus as a stone. And there are some places in the New Testament that kind of take that and, and put it all together for us because there are several Old Testament passages that talk about the Messiah as a stone. I want to show you this in 1 Peter 2. Okay, so just, just look through this, and I want you to notice there's a lot of different quotations kind of melded together as Peter works through this. He says, For it stands in Scripture... Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Now, the idea of a cornerstone is the pivotal stone that the rest of the building works from and that you're going to build on. So I've put him there as a cornerstone, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So now we add the idea that the builders rejected the stone God put there. So now you have the idea of rejection instead of building on the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So he says there are some who are going to see Jesus as who he really is. They're going to believe in him. He'll be the cornerstone for them. And for others, they're going to trip over the stone. They're going to fall. They're going to reject the stone. So you see what's happening. Jesus becomes a source of blessing to some and rejection and rebellion to others. And so he says they disobey the word and they stumble over the stumbling stone. So what we need to see here, what Simeon is seeing when he holds this baby and he says he's destined for the fall and rising of many is that we are going to have a choice to make about this little baby. Jesus is going to provoke a decision in people. It will be a crisis for them. And what they decide about him will be pivotal. He's destined for the fall and rising of many. Verse 34 then says, And for a sign that is opposed. When I've heard people talk about that, phrase, the sign that is opposed, very often I hear them talk about what is the sign. So I've heard people talk about this, as, is it the cross, which is the sign that begins to be associated most with Jesus historically, and it sometimes has opposition to it. Well, 
for one, let me just say, if, I, if I'm just giving my opinion, and this is just my opinion, you may disagree, we could still be friends, it'll be okay. But if I'm giving my opinion about what the sign is, there is one sign that Jesus says, this is the sign. When they ask for a sign, he says, this is the sign I'll give you. The sign of the prophet Jonah, which is the resurrection. The Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights, and then he'll rise again. So if you're going to talk about what would that sign be, just one sign to describe or define Jesus, I would say that would be the resurrection from the dead. But I don't think the focus of what Simeon sees is the sign itself. I think the focus is that it will be a sign that is opposed. That he is going to have enemies. And those enemies are going to be there when he is here on earth. And after he leaves earth, those enemies will never stop. So, that's something we don't usually talk about when we talk about baby Jesus, is it? We talk about baby Jesus and we talk about all the great things that he brings, but we don't usually think about how he leads to the fall and rising of many in opposition because of the message that he brings. But serving Jesus and understanding Jesus means acknowledging his message will never be universally popular. The third phrase is in verse 35. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. This is directed at Mary, it says in verse 34. A sword will pierce through your soul also. Mary is going to personally suffer through this ordeal. The opposition that accompanies Jesus is going to hurt her too, probably by hurting her son. So Mary needs to prepare herself from the fact that this is going to be painful for you. And especially it seems to me that he's talking about how her son's going to die. Now, doesn't that seem like a remarkably insensitive thing to say to a young mother? You're going to hurt and suffer and die because your son is going to hurt and suffer and die. And yet, that's what Simeon is saying. And the last phrase is in verse 35. So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. See, in all of this turmoil and hardship, people are going to show their true colors their response to Jesus will mean their fall and their rising, and we will see them as they truly are. Thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. I hope that reminds you of this passage in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's what God's word does. The thoughts of many hearts being revealed, that's what God's word does. God's word cuts us in the sense that it lays bare our motives, who we really are and what we really want. It discerns those things. So when Jesus comes to earth and Simeon holds this baby, he realizes this baby is going to be the one, as he grows, who will bring the word of God personally into everyone's life. Put it in our face, show us as we are, and leave us with a decision. That's what the Word of God does. That's what Jesus does. So that people will have a crisis and a choice to make. So here is what I want you to see. Simeon sees two dimensions of Jesus coming. He sees the great blessing it is, salvation for all people. And he also sees the great challenge it is, the fall and rising of many. Have you ever considered the tension? That in Luke 2, 14, when the angels 
tell the shepherds about Jesus that's just been born. They say, peace on earth. And yet Jesus will later say, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. Simeon is seeing that same tension. The tension that says he's brought salvation for all people, but he will also mean the fall and rising of many. That is a tension that never goes away. That on the one hand, there is great blessing, and on the other hand, there is great challenge. And what I am suggesting is that we need to be able to balance those two ideas about Jesus. The great blessing and the great challenge. It seems to me that we need to be able to say both the good news and the bad news, particularly at this time of year. There is good news and there is bad news. There is blessing here, there is salvation, there is hope, there is knowledge, there is a new relationship, there is expressed love in Jesus coming. And yet there is hardship here, there is falling, there is opposition, there are swords, there is revealing of hearts. If we emphasize only the blessing, it makes us weak and ill-prepared for difficulty. If we only emphasize the blessing, it's a lot like living on cotton candy or donuts. If that's all you eat, you're missing something. But if we emphasize only the hardship and the challenge, well, that makes us kind of hard and negative, doesn't it? I tried to think of what that was like eating only. The best Sarah and I could come up with was eating only celery. I thought of, you know, some dry beef jerky or something. You know, when we, we're only hard and negative and we just focus on the challenge all the time, then we miss the goodness. We need the balance. Jesus offers unequaled blessing to the world, and yet he also calls the world to account. And both of those are true at the same time. So I want you to think about this and take these two things home with you. First of all, if you have opportunities over coming days to engage friends and neighbors about Jesus, I encourage you to take a balanced view. Take a balanced view. Don't diminish the great joy and the great peace and the great love that is expressed in Jesus coming to earth. But don't diminish the challenge either. That this has been a blessing, but it's also been a blessing that has contained some hardship, some hard moments that we're now thankful for. So I am not saying be dismissive and ugly and provocative to your friends and neighbors. Please don't blame that on me. But I am saying there are always times to push our friends and neighbors toward a deeper appreciation for Jesus and what his sacrifice calls on us to do. And the second question is, what has this crisis of faith that Jesus brings, what has it produced in your life? How have you responded? How are you responding to the challenge Jesus lays down? We have choices to make about what we believe about him and how we're going to obey him 
What has he shown you about yourself? The thoughts of many hearts, Simeon says, will be revealed. What has he shown you about you? What needs to change in your life? I would strongly suspect that every one of us in this room have our own unique battles and struggles. We have areas of our lives that we know we're not sure or we're unwilling or only with great difficulty will we give them over to Jesus. And for us, there is a battle going on within. I'm thankful for a time of year when people talk more and more about Jesus, but I would be even more thankful if we were to make this a time to make real change, to follow Jesus. So I want to urge you, if that is you this morning, and there is a need that you need to bring to the Lord, if there is a sin that you need to repent of, if there is help that you need to ask for, if there is some way that we can help you draw closer to God and make your life right, this time is for you. Please come to the front right now as we stand and sing to encourage you.